Fontania left her teaching job in Monterey County after her school district pushed critical race theory and aligned ideologies and now runs the Exodus Institute, a homeschooling group based in Florida. She joins us to tell her story and discuss how education got to the present moment. Uh, Callie, before we begin, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. I am a public school, well, I was a public school teacher for 15 years. I have a master's in education. I have two teaching credentials, an elementary credential, mad respect to elementary teachers. I lasted about a year in elementary and then I moved on to middle school and high school. I actually really love middle school. That was my, the majority of my career was teaching middle school. And then the last two years I taught high school and this was all done in Salinas. Well, the last six years of my career was Salinas, California. And then, so, so what subjects did you teach and what were sort of your student body when you were in Salinas? Salinas is a majority Latino district, so I taught the English learners. I loved doing that. I actually taught students that have been in our country for about two to four years, so they were um, beginner, beginner, intermediate English learners, and then I also taught the low readers, so I was a special teacher that would work on getting students caught up in their reading. I often would get boys and girls that are in ninth grade or eighth grade and reading at a kindergarten level, if not just not even being able to decode simple words. So I would try and catch them up as much as I can in a year. It was, a, I loved doing what I do, you know, seeing a child, seeing a student, a teen actually go from not being able to read to reading by the end of the year was very satisfying. But you can imagine when we our schools shut down how challenging that was for doing do, teaching the English learners and the low readers for 14 months online. Right, try, trying to teach them via video rather than in person. Yes. So then what, uh, what sort of impelled you to, to, to end that, that work and to move on uh, to your current role? Really, if, if the schools were still the same as what they were when I first started teaching, I would never leave. I loved what I did. I loved being a public school teacher. I loved the impact that I could make with my students in one year. And it's my calling. But this last five years of education has fundamentally changed what um, education was in the 80s or the 90s, the 70s, even just 10 years ago is very different to what our students, our kids are experiencing today. And I would say this is all across the U.S., not just blue states versus red states. The reason being, there are so many teachers that are being currently trained in these very left-leaning colleges and now they are replacing all of the older teachers that never had all of these um, woke narratives put on them, and they didn't teach that to the kids. Now this new generation of teachers are coming in in all different states and pushing a lot of this um, woke activism on our students. Right. So this is this is the sort of the critical race theory. How do, how does that get into the classroom? Because you know one of the one of the defenses that people who uh, support the current education establishment will say is that no, 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 no. This is something that's taught to law students in, you know, advanced legal theory courses, uh, not something that is being taught to, you know, seventh or eighth graders. 
It's funny they say that because actually my undergraduate degree is in pre-law and I did learn about critical race theories like 16, 17 years ago when I was in college. And just because something is a college theory, as they have said that it is, and it, yes, it is taught in our colleges, does not mean that they can put the concepts and the ideas because it is a theory into a younger aged classroom. And I, in my district, it not only was implicitly taught, so critical race theory now, because that word has been so um, in our mainstream media right now, they're, they're hiding it a lot now when there's critical race theory in, in the classroom. But in my district, they actually got taught it explicitly. So the students were taught the definition of critical race theory. They were taught the um, key tenets of critical race theory. They were taught to analyze school policy through the critical race theory. What are, what are, just for those who might not be familiar or those who might not, you know, because a lot of, in in popular speech, a lot of sort of liberal uh, left progressive ideologies get sort of covered by that critical race theory umbrella. What kind of, what with specificity were, were, are, were people in your, were students in your district being taught? So they're taught, they're basically, so the idea of critical race theory is basically putting on a race lens and looking at school policy, laws, um, institutions, all through the lens of race and basically putting, teaching the kids that these institutions were built on racism and you're still seeing that today. So you're still oppressed by these institutions that were built on racism and we need to look at it, we need to dismantle it, and we need to rebuild it. So um, our students had lessons on decolonization, on having a counter-revolution, um, on the two-class system of oppressed versus oppressor. I'm, I'm not exaggerating on any of this. Mm-hmm. These are real lessons that the students received, and I actually took screenshots of all of them. And even our curriculum specialist in the district had a KQED interview where he admitted that there was critical race theory in the lessons. And this was right KQED before- KQED is, is a PB, it's a PBS station out in yes. California, right? Yes. Yeah. And this was, this was right before the mainstream news started saying it was not in our K through 12 schools. Now, if that, if that curriculum specialist had been interviewed six months later, I'm sure he would have denied that it was mm-hmm. in the schools. Mm-hmm. But I have, I have a link to that article for anyone to read if they want to, to see it. But yeah, so this idea, it's, it, what happened in California is that um, Gavin Newsom signed into law that all ninth grade students or all high school students need to take an ethnic studies course in order to graduate. And so that so the kids, my district decided to go ahead of the legislation because it isn't required yet, although it's signed into mm-hmm. law. There's some time before they have to do this. My district decided to go ahead of the legislation and cut their health class in half. So they used to get health for the full year in ninth grade. They cut that class in half and gave them ethnic studies for half the year. And all of the ninth grade students were required to be in the class. And I noticed, because like I said, I taught the English learners and the low readers, I would check their grades. We would do in homeroom, we would always check their grades. I want to see how they're doing in their other classes. And I noticed a pattern where my, especially the boys, I would say about 50% of my boys are failing this ethnic studies course. And when you hear the word ethnic studies, you're like, "Mm, that sounds like a great course, maybe you're learning about different cultures, you're learning about, you know, the the languages and the traditions of different, no, that is not what this class was. This was a leftist ideology brainwashing class from start to yeah, finish. Yeah, so like what, what, what were some like, again, with specificity, what sure. were they, they being taught? So on day five, the students were given a privilege quiz. 
And in that quiz, there was about 14 questions and they were taught, they were asked all of these questions that were very carefully chosen to rank them on privilege against their classmates. And at the end of the quiz, they were asked, how does it feel to be on the top? How does it feel to be on the bottom? So already dividing the class by privilege, mm -hmm. they were given this privilege quiz. They were, um, again, they were asked to analyze school policy through the critical race theory framework. So um, they had the students look at some of the different school policies, especially about um, the suspension rate and how there are certain minority students that are getting suspended more. So let's look at this through the critical race theory framework and basically deem this as a racist policy. So therefore we should get rid of it. They had a whole lesson on the Black Lives Matter movement where they were asked not whether or not they support the movement, but what they will do to support the movement. Um, they also were asked to do a chant to the BLM movement. They were asked to do Aztec chants to um, these, actually to a to an Aztec god, which was uh, pretty. You know, we're supposed to not have religion in our schools, but these kids were being asked right. to chant to an Aztec god. And in this, in the chant, it was to the actual, actually to a god who had, I think, uh, rumored to be twenty to eighty million human sacrifices done to it. <laughs> And so, um, no, 80,000, sorry. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. That sounds more. <laughs> that wasn't that big of a, um, and so, uh, so there was just a lot of really crazy stuff in this curriculum. And here I am clicking through it because these are the lessons that were actually delivered to the students. This isn't just, you know, this is, this is the, the curriculum that's given to the teachers and the teachers do what they want. No, these were the lessons that were delivered to the students that I was able to see online because like I said, we were all teaching online and I was able to use the same, I was using the same platform as the ethnic studies teacher and this was her slide presentation that she was giving to the students. I see. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so like whenever, just again to, to sort of present the other side's argument, one of the things that they will say is that if you don't, if you object to these ethnic studies, CRT influenced uh, lessons that you just don't want to teach the unpleasant side of history. You don't want to teach, you know, you don't want to teach about slavery. You don't want to teach about uh, the Jim Crow era. You don't want to teach about, uh, you know, the, uh, the oppression of American Indians or, you know, difficulties with immigration or that sort of thing. Um, that does not sound like what you're describing. <laughs> Absolutely not. I think that's such a myth that's being put out by the mainstream media that it's somehow going to erase black history um, or just any uh, negative history, hard history is what I call it in the United States, which I think is very important to teach. And I think we can learn a lot from it. But that is not what critical race theory is all about. It's all about applying the guilt of, of hundreds of years ago to today and putting that on our children today. So for example, there was another lesson where the kids were taught about white privilege. And in that lesson, there was a meme of two white girls graduating um, high college. And on the bottom, it said, on the top, it said privilege. And on the bottom, it said, some people are born on third base and think that they hit a triple. So what kind of message is that sending to all of the white Right, and, 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 and of course, that, that line was delivered by former Texas Governor Ann Richards against the son of a former president of the United States, who was her political opponent in the 1994 Texas gubernatorial election, oh, George W. Bush. I did not know that the origin <laughs> of that quote. That's really that is good that know. is that is a that was. I, I am 99 percent sure that the born on third base and hit a triple was explicitly about George W. Bush, the son of a former president of the United States at the time was 
had before he be, became president. So there you go. So that's exactly what they're teaching to our kids in that you can be born into this place of privilege what, based on the color of your skin or your gender. And, you know, imagine putting this onto our children at their most formative years in life, that they are basically in an oppression Olympics. And depending on the color of your skin or your gender or your sexual orientation is whether or not you are going to be successful or not in life. And that is just, even if it were true, which I don't think it is, and we have many examples in society where it's not true, um, they are being told this during, the, like I said, the most formative years of their lives. And either taking on a victim narrative or taking on the guilt of, oh my gosh, I'm a white person, so therefore I need to feel guilty and do all this penance or something like that is, is um, I think, detrimental. So for example, in my district, there was so much... They had a whole, like I said, they had a whole lesson on Black Lives Matter. They had a, lots of stuff about George Floyd. Black History Month was more prominent in my district than Hispanic Heritage Month, even though my district has 80% Latino kids, right? Mm -hmm. That next year, so they're pushing all of this Black Lives Matter, all of this Black History. That next year, those students, some of those students actually brought a, brought a black doll to school and we're kicking it around. They were kicking it around. This actually made the mainstream news because, of course, it was an example of racism. Mm -hmm. I said, you know why this is happening? It's because you guys are forcing all of this stuff on teenagers right now, and teenagers are rebellious. You know, if mm -hmm. you're going to force all of this here, you guys need to respect black history more than your own heritage, right? And, you know, a lot of these kids were not into the George Floyd. I know some students myself that weren't into the George Floyd riots they weren't into black lives matter but they're being forced to support these things not ask whether or not they support but what are they going to do to support of course mm. there's going to be a rebellion and i do believe that that incident was a product of all of this forced um race hyper race focused brainwashing happening in our mm. schools i do have to make one quick correction apparently ann richards was not the first person to use that oh Okay. To use that quote, but yeah. uh, it it is it is it is on wiki quote as a frequent misattribution. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. So we have this uh, this uh, this very you know left progressive critical race theory influence curriculum. Who's who's pushing it? Who thinks it's a good idea? Well, a lot of the teachers, you know, if the left leaning teachers. I think they come into the profession, especially the younger ones, they come into the profession thinking that they are going to change the next generation to eradicate racism. And I do believe that they have good intentions. You know, I've met them personally. I've worked with them. You know, like I said, I worked in a very left-leaning district. I worked with them for 15 years. You know, and I do think that a lot of them have good intentions, but they're getting so far from what our job is supposed to be, which is to make sure that our students are literate, for one. Like I said, I taught the low readers, but my district had a literacy crisis. In fact, um, I just looked this up, 53% of our high school students were reading below grade level. And not just, and I would say the majority of that 50% were far below grade level, not just a little bit below mm -hmm. grade level. And so here we are taking this time out of class, I mean, taking a whole class period for you know a whole semester, to make sure these kids are getting all of this, um, these woke narratives when they really should be focusing on making sure our students know how to read and write by the time they graduate. I mean, if we're going to talk about institutional 
oppression and systemic racism, can we make sure that our minority kids can read and write instead of making sure that they know that they are victims or privileged? <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's more, it's more important that, you know, the, the immigrant kids can read, speak, and understand English so that they can, you know, advance, you know, if they, so that they can live out the dreams that their parents came to America for, that their kids could have a better life. Absolutely. And being able to read, speak, and understand English are kind of baseline if you want to achieve that. So I mentioned the teachers, but I also want to say a big, another big part of it is the teachers' unions. And they very much are, uh, for one, I was never a member of the teachers' union my whole 15-year career as a, as a public school teacher. So it is possible to not be a member. I just kept my head down. <laughs> and did not, you know, I did not get into controversies with my colleagues or my administrators or my my students. I kept a very um, well well run classroom that had very few incidences. In fact, my last five years of teaching, and this is in a district where a lot of the kids are coming from, you know, gang homes, and there's a lot of issues. I only had to write one referral in five years, and that was for a student coming to class on drugs. <laughs> So um, I did not have problems in my classroom. So I was able to really, you know, just kind of stay away from all the controversies because I knew that I did not want to donate to an organization that does not support my values and beliefs and is actually furthering all of this hyper-race-focused garbage. And for your listeners to know, I am Jamaican and white. I'm a mixed teacher. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, considered a person of color in America. And I am not into all of this. And I think a lot of the parents that have actually spoken up at board meetings, if you look at the videos, they are also black parents. You know, they're not into this. And the fact that it's being forced on our nation's children and parents are against it, it's, it's, um, it's criminal, I think, because, you know, if you want to teach your child critical race theory, that's your choice. But some parents don't want that. And they just want schools to stick to um, reading, writing, and arithmetic, you know? <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, I mean, just kind of, I guess, from your experience, what do the teachers, is it that this is just the teachers unions ideologically follow left-wing fads so they go well, go along with this? Or, did they, or do you think that they have some something to gain from it? Wow, that's a great question. I do think it is part of, I think they like to go against anything that what they consider right-leaning um, is pushing back on. So I think mm -hmm. part of the reason why we're seeing so much of this is because we have started to be outspoken about it. It's been around for a while. We've had these kind of lessons going on in our schools for a while, but we finally were able to see it because of the pandemic, things got shut down. Parents are seeing lessons. They're masked questions. They're being asked. Well, right. I mean, I mean, like, like, like you said, you found out some of this from during virtual learning. No, absolutely. Um, so then what, what can parents do to push back? 
uh, you know, obviously, you know, we've got, you know, this debate has now started. It, it is now joined. Uh, you know, the teachers unions and their allies are digging in. What can what can parents do? It it, subje- it subjects the public schools to public scrutiny. As as Corey Corey DeAngelis has branded it, fund students, not systems. Yeah, I'm not sure about the particulars, but Arizona passed a pretty broad choice law. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, right. This goes to the this goes to the education credentialing cartel exactly. Exactly. and 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 its ability to form the the teaching profession. Exactly, and they're encouraged to. I I went to UC Santa Cruz, which is a very left leaning college in 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 California, where for my teacher training, and half of it was this stuff. And re- you're really, you know, you're 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 put as you're portrayed as heroes for pushing this on kids, as opposed to hey, why should we be doing this? And then, of course, the third option is to just homeschool your child, pull them from public school. I, uh, I think that this is a lot more doable for parents than they, than they may think. I was a middle school teacher. These kids come in so young and innocent. And by the time they leave in eighth grade, they're like little completely different. And I'm just like, what happened to you? And I think parents like forget how fast your child grows up. And we're putting our kids are, in fact, it's during their best hours too. Kids are more focused and happy in the mornings and the early afternoon than they are in the evenings after they've been in school all day, right? 
why are we taking away them? Our, you know, our children are only children for what, 12 years and they become teenagers. Why are we putting them in these institutions when we could have them at home and do a better job? I mean, you look at you look at all of the research on homeschooling and these kids turn out more socially stable. They turn out uh, they do better on all of the national tests. They have higher college entrance rate. There's just a lot of really and there's so many great resources out there for homeschool parents. And that's part of the reason why I opened up my own um, online school for parents that want to pull their kids from public school. All right. Well, thanks again to Kelly Fontania of the Exodus Institute for joining us.